Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Miracle Larry podcast. I'm joined by best friend, Larry Kelly. Larry, how are you? I'm good, Jack. How are you? Excellent. Excellent. I'm Jack Cush, a rheumatologist of some substandard note. But nonetheless, I get to hang around with some really great people in the field of medicine. We brought one of them onto the program today. This is good friend and true um, uh, scientist and medical leader, Kevin Winthrop, Dr. Kevin Winthrop is a professor of infectious disease, ophthalmology, and public health at the Oregon Health Science Center uh, in Portland. Um, I've been working with Kevin on a lot of, you know, autoimmune and, and for many years. And Kevin is a great friend and a great teacher. Kevin, thanks for joining the podcast. Yeah, thanks, Jack. Appreciate uh, the opportunity to be here and catch up with you guys. So, yes. so I actually went back and listened to the first town hall meeting that you and I did when COVID started. The date I was, remember that. Yeah. The, the date was April the second, twenty twenty. We were we were up to here in what we didn't know. And and I and I specifically listened to everything that you said. And man, you were pretty good in your predictions. <laughs> like one you were. You actually said, know. you know when when asked the question like because you were asked a question by a bunch of people, how long is this going to take? You know, when is this going to end? And your answer was, I don't know. This could go on for a while. But take yourself back to those days when you were, again, neck deep in all the uncertainty and all the the unknowns of, of, of how, what what is this? How is this being spread? How are we going to deal with it? Can you recall very well what that was like? Yeah, I, I can. I remember also being asked that uh, that gig that we did just, you know, is this a new flu or is this any worse than influenza? I remember someone asked that. And, and I think the answer I gave was, well, if it is a new flu, it's going to be around for a long time, but it's, it is, it's way worse than influenza, at least in, you know, large subsets of people, uh, which, you know, Larry can probably attest to um, with his experience. So I, I, I do remember that. And I, I think at that time, of course, we didn't, we didn't know a lot about it, just like you said. I mean, to me, what I when I go back, what I really didn't know, and I don't think anyone knew then, was just how communicable uh, it was, the airborne spread, and really the key, Jack, the, the unusual feature was the the fact you can spread this with without ever being symptomatic. And, you know, before you get sick, before you have symptoms, or even never have symptoms, you can spread it to everybody in the room. And that was pretty phenomenal that that was a game changer and it took a while to figure that out and boy i wish we'd figured that out earlier um but yeah i think we would have saved some lives but uh it, it was just such a unique uh virus in the way it transmitted and what it did i mean it was just it, it's really scientifically interesting um and I, it was a game changer I, kevin i thank you i can call you kevin um dr winthrop but the uh I, I'm excited that you're here because I, I I have a lot of questions, <laughs> but um, it, for you, for background on me, I was the second patient in New York. So wow. that's how early I was. Um, right when you were talking about it being brand new, I was that new. Um, the uh, I, I get very defensive um, on on non-believers and uh, um, anti-researchers and anti-experts. I get 
I get there's a part of me. It, it it's hard. Jack always reminds me, don't get political. We don't want to bother anybody. Don't get. But when you're dealing with COVID in the early days and the research, it it's hard not to talk about certain things that um, came up in society. This was a, a global pandemic. And I, I personally feel very, <laughs> um, very connected to the virus. I, uh, I know this virus. I, uh, I, I, was, I have an intimate relationship with this virus. Um, the, uh, and I just, I guess my first question for you is, how do you explain the complexity of research to people that have no interest understanding the complexity of research? Like, uh, for example, people thinking Dr. Fauci was confusing. Well, a pandemic is confusing. The virus yeah. is confusing, right? If you could, if you could talk about, you know, how how you have to defeat a virus from a from a scientist point of view. Does that make sense? That makes sense. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I can give you a couple just quick thoughts. I mean, I first of all, I, I used to work at CDC, so and I was involved in the anthrax outbreaks and a few other other things. But I mean, I, I just remember, and I was. I was an epidemic intelligence officer, so I was a guy on the ground, you know, but the, the higher ups handling the press and handling the media. I mean, I just remember thinking how difficult that was because the message was changing every day, just like with this outbreak. The message changes because you have new information and somehow you have to communicate that and maintain credibility. And that's hard to do. And, um, you know, I think CDC had some difficult times. I think everyone had hard times. Um because everything was changing every day or, you know, very quickly. Um, so you, you have, it's a real skill to be able to communicate and admit what you don't know, but really educate what you're doing about uh, what you're doing about that. And that, that's the key. I mean, I think Fauci did a good job. Um, I, you know, I think CDC did a good job with a lot of things. I mean, we can be a Monday morning quarterback. Sure. There were missteps here and there, but, but, you know, I, I was just, having lunch with a, a close colleague from a former CDC guy who helped run basically the monoclonal antibody distribution program and a number of other things in the face of the, the whole operation. And I mean, I, my comment to him was, and I'll, I'll say this here, is like, I actually am surprised how well the response went. <laughs> I mean, we, if you really look at it and you think like we developed all these new therapeutics and drugs and got all these emergency authorizations and and diagnostic assays up the yin yang all these things in like 12 months time hmm. it's it's incredible and not only we were able to make them freely available and distribute them sure there was there was difficult to do do that with certain things but but i i look back on it and think like what an amazing collaboration that took place between fda and cdc and nih and industry like every company just stepped up and, you know, said, hey, we're going to play ball. Now, sure, the government incentivized a lot of that, and that's what they should have done. Uh, but I, I think as a scientist, having taken part in a lot of that, I, it, it gave me some hope for the human race, actually, <laughs> and, and for our country. Like, I, 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 I understand that. I, understand. Yeah, I felt like we did a lot, um, and a lot went right. And I'm surprised it went as well as it did, frankly. Yeah. So, so, you yeah. know, what, what happened... One thing I'll point out perspective-wise, that the people who are against science and the anti-vaxxers and whatever, 
I mean, everyone's entitled to their opinion and whatever. The interesting thing was they are a lot more vocal, a lot more evident now that the virus is less of a problem. When this was a gigantic problem, when you were, you know, on a respirator, Larry, there was not a lot of opposition. You know, there was a lot of fear. People didn't know what they didn't know. And and, and so they, a lot of people hung back to see what was going on. And yeah, maybe they were looking to, to to pin something on someone or whatever, but there was just a lot of fear that was driving behavior back then. But there were so many unknowns. I mean, when we had our, our town hall meeting with 700 rheumatologists listening to Kevin and five other experts, you know, we were arguing amongst ourselves about whether we should be masking and and there were no masks and there was a shortage of masks and distancing and you know how to best treat it and you know hydroxychloroquine and all this kind of stuff yeah, that's right that was the hydroxychloroquine dance yeah that's right i forgot about it. oh uh, yeah geez. yeah but, you know jack but i this is i'm i'm a patient right i'm the citizen so i'm every man right um the uh in a global pandemic or or a, a coronavirus um you should be getting all your advice from the experts. Yes, I mean that. Well, Larry, anybody I, with a website I, is an expert. Anyone with a with a megaphone is an expert, and that's the problem. And and here's my favorite quote from a marketing guru, Seth Godin. I hope I haven't said this before. Seth Godin, Godin says, um, "Nobody believes what you tell them. Nobody believes what you show them. They often believe their friends. They always believe the story they tell themselves." This is what you're up against when you're a scientist like Kevin, who has the evidence, who has the numbers. He's a on the ground epidemiologist who's counting bugs and and giving the evidence that that informs decisions. But again, when you're up with the individual who who what's the story they're telling themselves? And, and amidst all the fear, there was a lot more listening and a lot less talking by those folks. But now it's the it, it, there is a lot of open opinion. And I still think that science and numbers, numbers don't lie. Um, I mean, and science really can change over time, but still. I think Kevin brought it up that there's a lot of Sunday morning quarterback, a Monday morning quarterbacking that's going on now more than there was back then, you know, because people do want to move on. I understand that impulse. I understand that Um, in my case, I, I don't think it will never not be a part of my life, you know, and, uh, and you know, it's, and you're not every it's man. It's hard to, be to you know, you're, you're not every yeah. man. You're a miracle every man. I know, I know but yeah. And, and, you know, you, you obviously went through something that, you know, not many people who've had COVID went through that. Um, you were on the forefront and it was, it was the worst, you know, the, that first year of COVID, we saw a lot of, a lot of morbidity and mortality. You know, it's gradually lessened for a variety of reasons. A, the variants are less aggressive, and and also we have all these vaccines and, and therapeutics now that we didn't have when you were um, experiencing this. So, um, yeah, I, I guess again, I, I try to look. I'm an optimist, last half full guy. So, I I just as much as I yeah, I wish we'd had masks. I wish we'd told people to mask. I never thought we should close the schools. I mean, I, I have my own criticisms about certain things. Mm-hmm. There was no right answer to these things at the time. It was a judgment call. Um, and, you know, but by and large, I think people, I think the health authorities in this country stepped up and did a great job. And that's at the local level, state level, the CDC level, um, FDA, NIH, HHS. I mean, it, it was, I, I do too. I agree. I, I do too. Yeah, I and, and again, industry, I, 
I, I mean, I worked, you know, Jack and I, we, we did a lot of work with industry trying to get these vaccines and drugs uh, available. And I mean, no one really had to like spend, you know, 300 million bucks running a bunch of phase two and three trials on a drug that they're never going to make money on. Right. I mean, there was yeah. a lot of people just doing this because that was the right thing to do. Um, right. And I guess you could always be a cynic and say, well, but they knew that, you know, if everyone dies, no one's going to be around to buy Humira, so we better do something about it. I, I don't know. But, I mean, my experience was people of all all walks, scientists, clinicians, you name it, no matter who you worked for, whether it was a company or a government or whoever, everyone wanted to, like, work together and get to the bottom of this and try to solve this problem. And it was very, I think, a very positive experience in that way. So, Yeah, but let me ask you um... – about where we stand now on masking and what we've learned from masking. So, um, and this is still a, a big issue because the numbers on COVID um, in the last two months show rises in COVID hospitalizations, rises in COVID deaths. Again, we went we went from a really low number to you know seven percent, ten percent rises, um, and it, it's hard to say what this all means. But is so. Where is it? What is the take home message on masking that people should be practicing even now? And and should people be masking at all now? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think on a population level, masking, you could do a study masking and you're not going to see any benefit. You're not going to see any harm either, <laughs> but you're not going to exactly. see any benefit. Exactly. <laughs> you have all this vaccine and prior infection associated immunity, uh, you've got antivirals, you have all these things that you're just, you're not going to be able to measure benefit of masking. So I, I don't think in the general population is rationale for doing it. Um, you know, there's a debate in the healthcare setting whether or not people should be doing it. And every institution is different. I don't know what you guys are doing. Uh, we've relaxed it. I think most places have relaxed it. But there there's a lot of people calling for it to be you know, reinstituted, particularly during the winter, uh, you know, months with respiratory uh, viral season. So, um, you know, there there probably is some rationale to to that, or at least in certain settings in the medical institution, um, particularly the immunosuppressed setting. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I think it's largely an individual decision. I mean, I was on the tube in London the other day, and I actually put my mask on because it was like, five people coughing in my tube car and it was like 90 degrees and it was like packed. <laughs> I was like, this is terrible. I'm putting a mask on. I was the only guy, but I didn't care. Yeah. I, I still carry one on the subway. I still carry one. And you know, whether they're coughing or not, if they look sickly to me, I put yeah. Mask well, on. and to be honest, I'm not necessarily afraid of getting it and dying from it or something. Neither am I, I, I don't want it to wreck my vacation. I mean, that was it. It's like, I'm on vacation. I don't want to get a bad cold or flu for the next week. Mm -hmm feel like crap so you know i i i think the, the morbidity mortality did you ever get it kevin did you uh, ever get it? i i have had it. yeah i got i got delta back you know a year and a half or two years ago whenever that was a year and a half ago almost two years ago so and I, I actually got pretty sick i didn't end up in the hospital but i sure thought i was going to um mm -hmm. the way i felt so in fact i went in and got checked out and x-rayed and all this other stuff so um, but that that was at a time I got that kind of similar to you. Well, there weren't any there was no antibodies that, that worked anymore. And there was no antivirals available. So there was nothing for outpatients. You know, there was stuff for inpatients, like if you were really sick, you know, Ectemra and things like that. But so there was nothing to try to prevent you from getting worse, which now we have, you know, good tools to, to prevent people from getting worse. who have high risk um, factors. So.
Hmm. Yeah, no, I was so early that uh, it was like everything on the shelf, I think they stuck in me. So <laughs> well, it sounds like you got... You, they said I was like the Pillberry Dove boy after one point. That was so puffy. Yeah, well, you at least ended up getting some things that later turned out to actually have some benefit. The steroids. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I think so. I hope so. Yeah. Who was calling the shots where you were working at, at uh, the Health Science Center um, on COVID, Kevin? I mean, how did, well, how, how did that work within the hospital? Yeah, I mean, the hospital, you know, we had a committee. I was not on that committee. I was on a vaccine committee related to vaccine distribution. But in terms of infection control and, you know, uh, what therapies to use and whatnot, um, you know, we had a community, a couple of my colleagues from the IV division and a few other folks. But, you know, I will say, you know, very, people really followed the local health guidance quite closely. Our state health department is an excellent health department as far as state health departments go. Um I think they largely made right calls all the way. I mean, there's a few things I disagree with here and there, but, you know, and, and again, it was fairly conservative out in liberal Oregon. I mean, we were mm -hmm. we never saw the disease numbers. We never had curves like that occurred in Florida or New York or other places. I mean, and largely because we were late and we shut down and people masked and they stayed away from each other. And it really did minimize disease, particularly in that first year, year and a half. So well, I, I always argue with people that uh, I, I, I present the argument. I don't argue with people. I, I use the term argument and it's a conversation. Only. Um, but that it, in many ways, a, an authoritarian society is better equipped for global pandemics than a free society. Because, uh, you know, shutting down, sometimes you have to do it. You just, if you're, depending on the severity of the virus, I'm assuming, how else... Do you attack it in the beginning without, you know, yeah. taking I mean, I, total proportion, you know? I was not without my, you know, I, I was angry. They shut they shut down the National Forest. We couldn't go hiking. I was like, you got to be kidding me, right? I mean, there was something <laughs> over overreactions. It made zero scientific sense, zero. <laughs> so there were things that I would stand up and argue about or I'd write a letter about, whatever. But, I mean, you know, largely speaking, you know, different places in the country handled this differently. I think earlier on when there was less known, it was more fear and yet more virulent virus, you know, less treatments. I mean, probably there was more cohesion in terms of nationally what people were doing. But that obviously kind of just changed as we went mm -hmm. along. I mean, if you have friends overseas, I mean, you know, I mean, Jack and I travel all over the place. I mean, you know, like a lot of our friends and colleagues, they were like locked in their apartments in Italy for like yeah. three months. Yeah, I mean, they, they didn't get out. <laughs> You know, or Canada, even Canada, or they got out and they got fined by some police officer who's walking around. I mean, it was very different in a lot of places, not to mention yeah. certain parts of Asia where it was very, very different. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So, Kevin, I got a uh, this is a question that I think has played Larry a little bit. When Larry first came down with the infection in early March, um, he was pretty much arm in arm doing a lot of activities with his wife and his younger daughter. Yeah. And, um, the wife never got infected. His younger daughter got infected and Larry got infected. Um, the daughter stayed at home and quarantined and got through it. Larry ended up in the hospital. Why those three scenarios when they're probably all exposed to the bug? Do you have any understanding? Yeah. So your daughter did, did get infected or didn't? Yes, she did. My she wife did. actually had antibodies at one point. So she obviously got it too. 
but had yeah. no symptoms. My wife is made out of iron, so it's a it's yeah. A, I mean, when I got Delta, we went to Sun Valley. My daughter was working as a ski instructor there, and we had Christmas there, and all five of us shared a little condo, and she brought it. She basically gave it to us all for Christmas, and myself, my daughter, my son, and she. We all had it, but my wife, who was in the same little tiny condo. The entire time. And then we drove for 16 hours through the snowstorm to Oregon with the windows up because it was negative four out. She never got it. I, I don't know. How but that's the nature of the virus, right? So that's that's the hard stuff to explain, right? That's, a, you know, everybody asked me, where did you get it? Well, the, the answer, Larry, we all know this. Women are just better. And that's the deal. Women <laughs> must be married. Women are just, they're just better. I, I mean, <laughs> And I'm obviously I'm joking, but I'm kind of not like I'm not joking. Data, I, I, I agree with you totally. Yeah. <laughs> no, immunologically, they do better with most infections, um, yeah. you know, TB, COVID. I mean, you can name a lot of things. There, there is a difference in survival and females right. almost always are better at surviving than males. And I there may be a there's I'm sure there's a variety of factors associated with that. But but in the end, they, they do seem to be the fitter. Well, I, I was doing it. I went back to the theater after I retired, right? And I was doing shows in Jersey. And uh, Bergen County was another epicenter, New York City, Bergen County. So I was in the exact two spots that happened to be the epicenter. But I'll never know, and I told this to Jack, the entire cast that I was doing this show in, in, in Bergen County got sick. Uh, I was yeah. the oldest and the sickest. But I'll never know. If I gave it to them or gave it to me, you know, I, I never really will know the answer to that. And uh, so that goes to my next question to you, Kim. And this is not political, but it's on my mind. Is it really important for us to know what benefit do we get knowing where this virus started? Is there any real benefit in that? Like, why is there so much effort to find out where it started? Well, I, I, A, I don't know why that became a political question because it doesn't make any sense. It shouldn't be. Um, B, um, I mean, I can tell you my, if I had a guess, I bet it mm-hmm. did come out of the lab because they haven't found in any animals yet. And at this point, it's like, it's hard for me to believe that we wouldn't have found it in all these animals that have been tested. Um, that being said, yeah, I don't, I think your answer, you're wondering about, like, does it matter? No, I, it doesn't matter to me where it came from. I don't, I, I think it was accidental whether it came out of a, uh, of some sort of weird mink in China or if it came out of a lab or something. I, I don't think it matters, but I mean, it is useful to know, I think, because if it did come out of a lab, it'd be nice to know how it happened so you could potentially prevent that type of thing. Right. If it was, I've, I've, I I would like to believe it's accidental that there's no somebody wants to find something nefarious in this virus. And, you know, my relationship with it, again, is sort of intimate. And, uh, you know, it only has one purpose, and that's to kill us all. So we just have to defeat us. And I don't care where it came from, actually, as long as we eliminate it. You know, um, and I mean, I think if we found it an animal reservoir, I mean, that that could be useful too. you know, to understand right, the, right. the dynamics of how it jumped the species. Bear. So I, I do think there's oh, value. That, that makes sense. You're right. That makes sense. But but going back to the other question, I will just give you the my scientific answer is like I, I think, you know, a lot. It's very clear now that a lot of our 
immunity and ability to prevent severe disease has to do with our T cell, like our cell mediated immunity and, and our cross protective responses to other similar uh, viruses. And, you know, I think those cross protective uh, experiences and T cell responses, which is part of your immune system, a lot of that probably more prevalent in certain groups of people like kids. They, they're, they're more close in touch with, all these other adenoviruses and other things. And uh, and maybe that's true too of women versus men, just because they're more likely to be closer to their kids. I don't know. I mean, these are all theories, but but I think it's very clear that, that and, and we even see this with influenza and other things. I mean, your, your experience with other related viruses certainly become, can become protective against subsequent viruses. Um, and I, th I think that did explain a lot of the disparity we saw in terms of why some people got super sick and some people didn't get sick or some people had symptoms and blah, blah, blah. So, so Kevin, is it true that uh, Larry, who um, was infected with the bug and later was vaccinated, that he may very well be the most protected uh, compared to me, who's I was never infected, but just got the vaccine? Yeah, well, there, it was definitely, there was a lot of work done that first year or two, year and a half. I mean, looking at... Um, the protection afforded by vaccine alone or natural infection alone or the combination. And it was pretty clear the combination was uh, more potent in terms of, you know, higher antibody levels and probably more robust immunity, at least, at least for some time period after those events. Um, there was definitely the work done looking at severity of disease and the people had really severe trips with COVID like you did. They, definitely developed higher antibody levels and probably greater levels of protection that, that then may last a little bit longer, right? Because all your antibody levels are going to wane, but, you know, if you start higher, you know, six months later, you're still probably going to be higher than the next guy who started lower. So um, so I, I do think that, that there is some truth to that. And I mean, I, now I, uh, it probably it's, doesn't it's, matter. But. You know, people, people say to me, they always say, well, you must have lots of antibodies. And... Uh, I, I make them feel good and joke and say, oh, I got them coming out my butt. You know, I got antibodies out the antibodies. I said, I don't know that. But here, here's Kevin, here's where I'm at. And I, I know I'm kidding myself in this, but uh, I'm on because of my lucidity throughout the whole ordeal and even in the coma, um, I, I have this false belief that um, th there's no way that someone or something would make me go through that again. Um, the, uh, do you know what I mean? I, that, um, it's sort of like, for lack of a better word, on a, on a spiritual level, but it's on a, it's on a, I just. Like the world according to Garp, you're disaster proof. Like you're, exactly, exactly. When that plane hit the exactly when the plane hit the roof, it's like that'll never happen again. I'll buy this house. I'll buy this house. Okay. I'm the guy you want to have dinner with. We can't you're use safe. these words. You're safe from, as hell. You're doctors, safe. Larry. We can't use this strategy in trying to sell our concept. I know. I know. I know. But I'm glad you're comforted by it. That's good. <laughs> well, I, I, Larry, I think you're right. I don't think you're going to go through this again with COVID. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, so that that's good. You have gained some. I'm sure. Uh, quite a bit of protection against future, you know, SARS-CoV-2 or related viruses even. So, um, you know, I, I think what you Kevin, went that's through... my next, my next question yeah. to you is, do you think, you know, you're, you're younger than I am and we are, Jack and I are. Um, 
Do you think we're going to see another one in our lifetime? Uh, another pandemic? Or... Hmm? Well, I mean, these, you know, there was SARS, there's SARS-CoV-2, there's MERS. I mean, these things seem to pop up every 10 years, the last 20 years. So I, you know, if you just look at that as your stock ticker, you know, it's probably going to pop up. Something's going to pop up in the next 10 years. Um, yeah, I mean, there's no question we'll have more pandemics. I, I think probably the next 15, 20 years, there's a good chance we'll we'll see something. Um, it, and it may be worse or better. You know, I mean, I, I think that's always... That's just random. Like it may be something that we already got therapies to. It may be something that we've got a lot of cross protection to based on experience with other viruses uh, or it may not be. Um, you just you just don't know. So but I, I do think I, I do think the next one might go better in terms of response, you know, from government. I mean, the whole response. You right? do. So I, we definitely learned a lot. I think those those things will be put to use in the future. Good. That's every, That's every outbreak, you learn something, and it makes the next mm -hmm. one better. I mean, it doesn't matter what the disease is, and so I I do think CDC will be better prepared, for example, and whatnot. So, but of course, if the next pandemic is not for thirty or forty years, and everyone, you know, institutional memory lapses and funding <laughs> lapses and all that, then that's <laughs> my statement goes by the wayside because then. The, It'll be like starting over again. Yeah. Like who knows who Jonas Salk is right now? Yeah. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. So we'll we'll see. Hopefully, you know, I guess that'd be the good thing if we had the next one sooner than later, but it'd be nice not to have the next one for all At all. The time. I think there was a quite a bit of exhaustion on the part of society, uh, and all of us personally, right? I mean, that was not something anyone really wants to do again for a while. So Kevin is a random question. Yeah. Only because of where you live and my 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 dearest friend in the world lives there also. Um and there's a severe homeless problem in Portland. Do you find any infections in the population? Is there an increase in infections in the population? No, I mean, you know, I mean there's a severe homeless problem, not just Portland, I would say every West Coast city particularly, yeah. but, but also other cities in the US. And you can kind of see it's been growing the last few years. I think the pandemic definitely contributed to that. It definitely contributed to that in Portland and I think other cities where, you know, the downtown's shut down, there's nobody working there anymore. And, you know, it's just it's a problem. So I, I think that's happened a lot of places. Certainly Portland's been one of those places and it, it has been hard to see. And I think things are starting to get a little better now, which is good. Um, and a lot of it had to do with, you know, opening up. We just need to open up our businesses and society and people need to start working again, not just from home 24 seven. So, um, but, but yeah. numbers wise, data wise, you don't find an increase no. in infections in that population. No. I mean, for example, our tuberculosis rate, which is, you know, homelessness is a risk factor that I'd stayed totally stable. So I, we don't see any particular, um, infection problems we see a lot of mental health problems it's mm -hmm. definitely it's a pandemic of mental health uh problems and and drug abuse that coexist and that's you know i think that's rampant homeless population everywhere in the u.s probably beyond the u.s but i i wish i had some expertise in i tell this story i tell this story kevin that that you know um in terms of mental health you know when i first came home um there was there was all this pressure on me to uh to to live up to this name, you know, that uh 
to that you know that I was this miracle all of a sudden you know and uh, but but three months in I'm like totally depressed I'm like you know but I have so it's COVID remember it's like yeah. we're talking September of 2020 so I start calling <laughs> I start calling psychologists and you know I'm telling them that you know I I think I have suicide ideation you know and uh they're giving me appointments for three months down the road. I'm saying, what, what, what is it? You, don't, you don't understand. I'm calling you for suicide ideation. And this is March. And you're saying, well, I, you can come in in May. You can come in. So I, I know that my, my sense of humor is hopefully is one of the things that got me through it. But uh, it, it was not easy. It was not easy mental health wise. Yeah. It, I, I would say the uh, that's a funny story. The the wait time to see specialists and primary care doctors is too long in this country. Uh, that you know we all we all experience that. But, um, but it coincides with the wait time to get a gun license. So you know, <laughs> it's, probably, it's probably less than three months in Texas. Where all right. that. don't take it there, Jack. You, you tell me don't go there. Don't take a good it. place to end, Kevin. Thank you so much for um, letting us scratch. Scratch your brain and all that wisdom uh, on this great subject. And really, thank uh, you, Kevin. We really appreciate your perspective. And, uh, yeah, good, good luck. And Larry, I'm glad you made it, and I'm uh, glad you did your podcast. Because and I'm glad, I'm glad you do. I I love that you do what you do, Kevin. And uh, yeah, well, thanks. I I uh, I'm I'm optimistic. I think we got we got a lot of tools now, and we'll have more in the next six months, twelve months. So I I think this is gonna be a problem for specific subgroups of people more than anything you notice um, anything coming up send me a note send me, you know, i will no, be, don't eat oysters you know so whatever just send me a note send me a note <laughs> well, don't right. eat oysters but you should grill them grill them <laughs> all the best see you guys thank Good you break. kev bye-bye